Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, guest speaker Joey Fennell finishes up our series, Fifty Shades of Grey, the black and white on sexual issues. Joey talks about the factors of a healthy marriage and how it must start with a godly man and a godly woman. How's everybody doing? There's a lot of y'all out there. Man, good crowd today. Guess you all either don't know what it's about or you do know what it's about. Either way, it may have gotten you here, right? We've had a great series that's been going on and and wrapping up that series today. Uh, The first week we talked about pornography, the second week about homosexuality, the third week about abortion, and today it's all about sex. All right? So I say that as a preamble to if you have not talked to your child about sex and they are in the room right now, do not go out to eat for lunch, okay? Because they're going to ask you awkward, awkward questions at Fordham's. And you're going to have to answer those questions over some fried chicken. So if they are with you, I'm going to give the opportunity to go, we might need to rethink this. Because we're going to talk about sex. And I'm going to use words that have to do with sex, okay? So I just want to put that out there so you already know it. One of the great celebrations through this whole thing, and Brandon has made comments about this before, is... You know, we, we were accused of trying to grow our church by having this series, you know, and he said, you know, he would rather have Barnum and Bailey's or somebody like that if we really wanted to grow the church, not to talk about these issues. But did you know what I refer to as Porn Sunday? I thought it was a good title. Uh, on Porn Sunday, we had 13 people receive Christ for the first time. Where does that happen? I don't think that's just because of the topic. I think that, that God has, you know, control of this whole thing and he's still working through and his spirit um, abides in us and, and a total of 17 salvations in the last few weeks. And it's just really, really been awesome. Um, Brandon was looking for, um, you know, a few weeks ago, he talked to me about the series and he said, you know, I need to find somebody to do this last, this last sermon or sitting at RJ's. And he said, I'm, you know, I'm looking for the the biggest stud in the church basically to do it. But he said, you'll do. And, um, that's how you got me. Um, but anyway, this sermon is for everyone. The other sermons that we've had have been, you know, very direct. And a lot of people deal with pornography. A lot of people not only deal with homosexuality, but we deal with the attitudes around homosexuality and, and what it is and what it is not. Um, and Brandon talked about it, you know, being idols and, and those things are the things that we worship sometimes. And then abortion, uh, of course, uh, affects a lot of people, but a lot of people have come to our services and, you know, like, this was good. It was good to hear. Um, but you know, I've never, you know, had to deal with that specifically in my own life. Well, this one's for all of you. Okay. Cause you are either are having sex or you are going to have sex. So we're all involved in this one, right? This is for everybody. Um, and there's all kinds of things around that, things that we've made mistakes about. We have our sexual baggage. Um, all of that stems and is going to come up during the service um, as we go along. But the conversation in and of itself is awkward, right? It's kind of weird. It kind of feels funny. You know, even when people use the word, you know, they will usually do that breathy thing. You know, they're going to talk about sex. Like... What would you, would you say? Six, what? I, you know, we, we're just, it's like we can't say it out loud or, or something like will explode or, you know, some will fall on our heads or we're just embarrassed about it. But I think that's so cultural and it, and it has so much to do with the way we were raised and how it was talked about. You know, our parents didn't do the, probably the best job in the world and their parents, you know, not even really sure if they had sex or not, but you know, just and if they did, they probably didn't enjoy it. So this, the culture has changed on, on one level, a good thing because we've been more open about it. But the negative is we've been almost too open about it. And our world has dictated what sex means. The world has defined that for us. And the church has been silent. Silent. We haven't done much around it. We haven't talked about it. I can remember in youth ministry, I was in youth ministry for 13 years, and, and during uh, those years, the, the whole True Love Waits campaign came out, came out. It was referred to as Don't Do It Sunday. 
You know, that's, that's what it was really. It's just don't do it Sunday. And, and they got the rings or made the promises. And the you know, same girls and guys that were up there making these promises had probably just had sex the night before. And, you know, they were still making that promise to, to don't do it that day. And, and we'll try to work on it till the next campaign comes around. But that's really all it was. Some of my kids came up with the term, why wait? And I was like, I don't think we need to use that one out loud in the church. But, but that's really what the attitude has become. You know, why why wait till I'm married to have sex? What, what's the big deal? What, what does the Bible really say about that? I mean, I'm going to marry her or I'm going to marry him. So what's the big deal of going ahead and having sex? So the world's defined that for us. The church has been silent. And, and what's crazy, and remember it's in youth ministry, if I would say anything about sex in a service or, or preach about it in our youth or have some type of thing on it, you know, parents would come to me, I said, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable with you talking about that with my kids. You know, the next year when their daughter was pregnant or having sex with someone, then they would come to me and go, would you please talk to my child about this? I'm, I'm confused. I, I try to do that and you got on to me and now you want me to help. Um, you know, maybe you should bring them back to church or should have, you know, five or 10 years ago. Um, and maybe we could have helped then, but would we really have as a church? And I'm thankful, thankful that we are doing this, this series. But what we do tell our kids is that sex is dirty, ugly, and gross. Save it for the one you love. (laughs) There is kind of a confusion there. You know, I'm like, Oh, what happened? I don't know what that means. Um, but many of us also have sexual regrets. We come into this room this morning and I, I hope and pray that God is going to speak to you on so many different levels. For those of you who are married, I've got a, just a, a great, great message for you. Those of you who are single in here, there is a great message in this for you as well. Those of you who are dating might be a little uncomfortable. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. Um, again, those of you who are married and are struggling in this area of, of sexuality and the sex within your marriage, this message is for you. So I've got a lot of information. So, you know, when it, at three o'clock, if y'all just raise your hand and just let me know if y'all need a bathroom break and then we'll, we'll close about five. Um, I need weeks to get through this stuff. But the, the Bible is, is filled with issues all about sex. And I want to get right into this because um, it's intentional. But we've messed up everything in between being intentional about what we know about sex, what we feel about sex, and, and all that good stuff. So in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus is actually being quoted here talking to the church at Pergamum about sexual immorality. In Revelation chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, we have our, our nifty sky Bible up behind me that you can look at. Um, but this is a, a great text. Jesus is talking here, um, or is being quoted about something he has said to this church and what's going on. So I'm going to read it and fill in a couple of things for you, beginning with cha- uh, verse 12 of chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. Now that's Jesus. He has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live. A little smack talk from Jesus. Where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. A little reminder. I love that. We don't talk like that usually, you know. Come into your house where Satan lives casserole doesn't taste the same, does it? (laughs) Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Jesus is setting it up. There's some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Now he taught the Israelites to have sex with non-Israelites. In comparison to today's time, this is Christians and non-Christians having sex. Who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Verse 15, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, they taught, go do what you want to do, and then there's always grace. Live how you want to live. Your body is yours. It's not connected to your spirituality. Just do what you want to do, and then, you know, slay slay a goat, and you'll be okay. All right? That was the Nicolaitans and and how they lived. Repent, therefore, first words he says after he sets us up, repent. 
therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Verse 17, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, you can overcome it. He's saying you can be victorious over this sexual sin. I will give some of them some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and we pray, God, that each one of us, our hearts will be opened, that you will plunder around in our hearts, point out the things that need to be pointed out, Let your word speak today, God. Let your spirit abound in this place as we, no one is here by happenstance. That you have ordained this hour for everyone in this room. And God, we pray that you do your work and we allow you to do it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Now I want to go straight back to the text that gave us relationships and talks about relationships, and that goes back to Genesis chapter 2, all the way back to the beginning. Right after God creates everything, then he goes right into Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. He's created Adam. They're hanging out. In verse 18, he says, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a suitable helper. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave name to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. You know if they were kind of like going through the animals, he was like, nah, it's not going to do. It's like four legs. It's kind of odd. Aardvark walks, nah. No, it's not going to do. So, so nothing was suitable as they meandered by, and he named them the odd names that we have. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, which wasn't difficult. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and then he closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, wow. Well, that was what I, I would have said. This is now bone of my bones. I mean, she was naked. Remember that. This is my bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, let me stop here. Leaves his father and mother. Leaves his father and mother. Right? That means move out of your mama's house and sell your PlayStation. Okay? (laughs) That's what we do when we get married. We put the childish things behind and we move on to grown-up pants. Right? Leave your father and mother. I cannot tell you how many sessions I have in my office with couples where this comes up. Because every man I deal with either has a bad relationship with his mother or he can't leave his mother. All of them. And neither one of those are, ha- are very healthy, right? Especially for you ladies. Like he, just, he has to call his mom every time he needs something. You don't depend on me for anything. Leave your father and mother. It's in the text. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now sex is the drug of choice in America. There's no doubt about it. It sells more. The images are everywhere. They remind us of our sexuality every day. From the time we get in a vehicle and turn on our radio and we hear things, as we drive down Northside Drive, as we go across campus, as we walk across campus, as we go into Walmart, it is everywhere. It's been cheapened from fine dining to fast food over and over and over. From fine dining to fast food. Sex is a fire. And God has created a fireplace for us to have sex in. A safe place. When fire is in the fireplace, it is contained. So sex inside the fireplace 
or beside, never mind. Sex inside the fireplace is safe. It is holy. It is wonderful. Sex outside the fireplace brings all kinds of destruction and despair. Creates all types of problems, a firestorm. So we have to seek God's direction. So I'm going to give you really four main points today. Coming from Genesis chapter 2 of how God intended it to be. And the first thing that God starts out with is a godly man. That's what he created. He created a godly man. Adam was a godly man. And what does it mean to be a godly man? A godly man today is someone who has a relationship with Jesus. He has a relationship with Jesus. Ladies, if your boyfriend, if you don't know if your boyfriend loves Jesus, he probably doesn't. Get out. Get away from that. I mean, unless you don't love Jesus either, then this sermon is really not for you yet until we get to the end. And maybe you want to start that relationship today. But that's what he was talking about in Revelation. If you got a Christian and a non-Christian, the Israelite, the non-Israelite, it doesn't work. It cannot work if we're talking about the covenant of marriage. So a godly man is someone who has a relationship with Jesus and is genuinely, genuinely in love with him. Now, how do you know that? How do you know if he's in love with Jesus? Well, there's something called fruit. And when the fruit comes out of your boyfriend or your husband, even for married couples who may be caught in this, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But the fruit has to show. One of the most obvious things is how does he handle his money? How does he handle his money? Because I know a lot of men who can easily spend thousands and thousands of dollars on hunting or hobbies, but when it comes to giving their money to the church, to God, and offerings and tithes, eh, not so much. Brandon talked about this a few weeks ago, that our finances are tied directly, directly to our hearts. And it, how we handle our finances is, I think, the, one of the number one ways to know how much we love Jesus. So how does he handle his finances? Clean up your finances, guys. The other big one, he esteems women. I could do three sermons on this one and probably yell a couple of times, too. But a godly man esteems women. We have to learn to build up and esteem women. You remember the sitcoms and the different shows that we've watched through the years? And there are always those scenes of the hard hat guys. Nothing against guys with hard hats. But these were the scenes. You know, there was the, the, the inner city construction work going on. And they were at lunch sitting on the steel beam, hard hats on, eating the sandwiches, and the woman walks by, right? And you get the, woo, woo, look at her, woo, all this stuff going on. Guys, women don't walk away from that going, oh, yeah, man, I like that. Hoot a little louder. It really doesn't do anything for them. I'm pretty sure we could ask any woman in here to say, do you like when, you know, men hoot at you when you walk by? I hope there's nobody in here who goes, I really like that. It really makes me feel so special, and I feel like one of God's children when that happens. <laughs> oh, you don't? You feel like a piece of meat that just got hung off of a hook walking by. Because we have the same reaction when we catch a big fish, right? So <laughs> it's like, whoa, look at the size of that thing. What's the difference? It's demeaning. It is demeaning to women, so we have got to learn how to esteem women. Guys, what's on your playlists? What's on your iPods? Because if you're listening to music that refers to women as hoes or bitches, and I know what I said, don't email me, okay? <laughs> if, we, if that stuff is on your playlist, get rid of it. It is demeaning to women. It's hurtful to women, and God hates it. God hates it. They are our sisters in Christ. And some of us come in here, and I know we've had the thoughts. You even sit in here. I bet walking in here today you struggled with it. 
you walked in here and somebody walked by and you're like, oh man, she, I'm in church. Oh my gosh. I can't do that. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, guys. And we struggle with it. Let's admit it. We talked about porn three weeks ago. We could talk about it every week and get people saved. I'm almost positive. Because I bet the same guys who probably struggled in that service and even thought, I got to do better. I got to do better. Got home that afternoon and looked at pornography. Guarantee it. The statistics are staggering. Porn doesn't hurt anybody. It destroys your thought about women. It destroys what you think in your mind about women. And if you think, well, I can do this and still be a good husband. I can do this and still be a good boyfriend. You cannot look at that stuff and look at your wife or your girlfriend or your future wife in the same way. It is impossible. A godly man fights through temptation every minute of every day. We fight every minute of every day. I remember years and years ago when I was in college, we uh, went down to New Orleans for the flag football championship, okay? Now, New Orleans being such a godly town that it is, um, there's a place called Bourbon Street. And see, Bourbon Street, the goal there is to start at one end and to come out the other end without an STD. That's the goal. It, it, that's what you're trying to accomplish. So you could run or you can walk or you can, you know, wrap yourself in saran wrap, whatever it takes. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? Unbelievable you've ever been there. But really, it, it's no different than riding through town here, if we really think about it. Our billboards show the same stuff. Well, maybe not quite the same stuff, you know. But it's still there. It's in front of us every day. So we have to fight through the temptation. Guys, we need to commit together. That means you find an accountability partner or partners. Because I think if just two guys work together, it still doesn't get it. Because, I mean, we, we kind of suck just two of us together. We need like five or six guys bound together, loving each other, calling each other out, speaking into each other's lives and going, dude, how are you doing? How are you doing? How's your, how's your computer work doing? You know, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Do I need to come over there and let's just pray together? Let's talk together. Let's go get something to eat. I know you're struggling with it. But not condemning, but building up and helping each other. Another thing that a godly man is, is one who pursues righteousness, not happiness. One who desires to be righteous, but not necessarily happy. Now, this is the one that, but you might email me about this one, all right? Um, but this one's a little bit tougher. This goes down to the, how often should I be able to go hunting? How often should I be able to play golf? How often should I be able to do the things that I want to do? We've had those conversations, men, married men, single guys. This is for you too. You need to learn it now, all right? Now, I'm not talking about if you're righteous, that means you roll over like a dog, and not stand up for yourself in your relationship. What being righteous is, is what's important to my spouse and my family and not important just to me. There was a time when, um, early on in, in, in marriage for Lisa and I, when I traveled a lot doing youth ministry and, and going to different events and doing things, and there were some times that I really liked to, I liked to play golf at the end of those things. And I did that every now and then, and we began to have these conversations, and, and her take was, but you've been gone all these days, and now I'd really like, I mean, I'd like for you to be home. And in my mind, I was like, well, I want to play golf. I want to do that with my friends. Hey, please, I'm like an idiot, you know, begging. We'll get to that in a minute, too. But she had a point, and she was saying, it, but it, it, it continues to kind of take away from our family when it's done in conjunction with these other things you were already doing so there was a one event where I, I, I did this and called her and and, and kind of didn't you know really tell the, the whole truth about it you know when are you going to be home well, I'll be home and I'm thinking 18 hours more we got about four more hours left in our meetings and um, I'll be home after that you know so I, I get home and walk in and she says well how how how, how was everything I was good it was real good um did you did you play golf you have those split-second times to 
make a good decision or a bad decision. I think I just remained silent, you know, kind of in a courtroom atmosphere. Could I take the fifth on that one? She said, well, I figured you did since your face is so red, unless y'all met outside. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. We met outside. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I realized in that, though, is we are referees for each other in our marriage. If she has a concern or has a, a feeling about something, and I want to play golf, am I pursuing righteousness with her? Or am I pursuing my own happiness? Okay? And we could think of a million different deals with this. But if it takes away from the family, if your wife is speaking to your life, guys, consider it. Consider it. You give up your rights for the one you love. You really do. If I don't at least have one premarital couple per year to call it off, then I'm not telling the truth good enough, in my opinion. It's not a goal that I have. But I really want couples to know what they're getting into. This is not a continuation of your single life. Things will change. I did a wedding yesterday afternoon and I used that statement. Things will change. The very things that you've fallen in love with are going to drive you crazy in two years. I just love him so much. He talks to me. He shares his feelings with me. Two years they come into my office. You know what she says? He won't shut up when he gets home. I can't stand how much he talks, has to talk, 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 has to tell me everything that goes on during his day. That doesn't happen very often. It's usually the other way around, but I wanted to use the guy in that one a little bit. Uh, one out of, you know, all of them, it happens that way. So, sorry about that guy. So there's a godly man and there's a godly woman. Ladies, sorry, it doesn't get much easier here for us. Um, One of the interesting facts is if you read Genesis chapter 2 is that Eve had a relationship with God. There are some people, and and even through my reading, there are times when I've thought, well, you know, God created Adam, and there's this whole leadership thing and submission thing. Maybe God created Adam, and then the two of them got together, and they witnessed to Eve together, right? It was like God and Adam in a pack. And they come to goes, Eve, we need to tell you about, let me tell you about God over here. And God says, well, yeah, let me. But if you look closely at the text, Adam was asleep, you know? God like flicked on Sports Center and he was out cold. And he created Eve. God had a relationship with Eve. Eve had a relationship with God, her own relationship. Her own individual relationship with God. So the first thing I want to tell you about, a godly woman is, is a woman who knows Jesus as her Savior. She has a relationship with God. She owns it. Ladies, you don't need a man to save you. You do not need a man to save you. You don't have to go through life going from relationship, 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 because you need a man. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And there may be other things going on for you if that's what is happening in your life. You don't have to be rescued. Jesus already rescued you. He is your rescuer. And when we set men up, ladies, you set men up to be your savior, guess what? Even if he died on a cross, he would just be a dead man on a cross. All right? There's nothing else there. He's human. He's just like you. He will fail you. He will let you down, and you'll walk away trying to find another one. Know that Jesus is your Savior, first and foremost. And your future husband or your present husband is your partner. He's the one you love and you cherish. Yes, that relationship is the closest thing we have on earth with our relationship with God and the comparison of them. We'll talk about that in just a minute as well. So, The second part, a godly woman stands on her own two feet. She stands on her own two feet. Now, what does that mean? In relationship, as husband and wife, as partners, we depend on each other some, right? But if we depend on each other too much, then we become burdensome to the other person, and we become unhealthy. My approach is the football goal approach, that we have... Just take a message if, if it's for me. If, um, 
We have a relationship with God, men. Women, you have a relationship with God. And you have a relationship with each other. Now, my goalpost does not have the stem that goes down to the ground, which people go, well, that's got to be the one that goes to your kids. No, no, you can't have both. You can't have all three. These two relationships are the most important. This relationship is number two. If these two are intact, the relationship with your kids will be awesome. Okay? They reap the benefits of those two relationships. What happens in most couples and most relationships is we begin, one of us or both of us, begin to focus on our children. And we pour energy in our children. We haul them to games and we coach and we do all those things. And that is really awesome. You are awesome to do that. We are awesome as parents to do that. And we even get told we're awesome, right? He's so involved with his kids. Yeah, that's good. What does his married life look like? She is so involved with his kids. She's at everything with them. Yeah, but what does their marriage look like? Because what happens is, if you didn't know it, we go back to the leave your father and mother. They're going to leave. And some of you pray, I hope they do and never come back. (laughs) And then you pray that they leave and then they graduate from college and can't get a job. They do come back, right? Like, can I stay here for a couple of decades with you, you know? So this is something that gets kind of messed up, really messed up. And we begin to focus all of our attention on the kids. They leave, we look at each other, and we go, who are you? Because I haven't done anything to help the relationship. So women, you stand on your own two feet in the relationship. Men, you do the same thing. Because if she comes to you and she leans in and something's happened catastrophic, a parent has died, a friend has died, somebody's gotten sick, whatever, she leans in on you and she goes, I really need your help right now. If you're not healthy enough, you either pull away and she goes, you're never there for me. Or you lean in too much and she says, please stop smothering me. So we have to be healthy and equal in that, that place. Now let me talk about some games women play. These are fun, okay? Um, if you have anything that you could throw, please put that down right now if you would. Um, and I may just back up as we talk about these. But these, are, these come out of a, a book called Every Woman's Marriage. And it's a, a great, great book by Shannon Etheridge. And I, I love these, these things. So the first, the first game that women play is the, the mommy-child game. Okay? The mommy-child game. of husbands that say to me, I, I just feel like another child in our house. And she says, I feel like I have another child in our house. So I thought, well, we can work with that. Y'all agree. You know, that's good. We have a positive approach now. But these are things like, um, you know, could you please get your stuff off the table? These are statements that should end with you idiot or you moron or you stupid person, you know? If your wife talks to you that way in that tone, it's not really the respect that the guys are looking for. Maybe you could say, you know, honey, we're about to eat. Could you help me clear off the table? Sounds a little different, doesn't it? Women are like, he won't respond to me. He won't do it, right? We'll pray for you. All right, the, um, <laughs> the spoiled child sugar daddy game, all right? This one goes like this. I can get anything I want from Dan, within reason, of course. All I have to do is cross my legs and stop cooking. Translation? I withhold sex and starve the man, right? He'll give me whatever I need. That's not cool, ladies. That's a manipulative sinner is what that is. Let's just be honest. You are manipulating your husband. Communication's out the window, right? Can't talk to him about it. So I'm going to do what works. That never really ends up going well, by the way. The Holy Spirit wretched sinner game. My husband thinks he's a Christian, but I'm not really sure. My life would be so much better if my husband loved Jesus like I do. If our children grow up to be like Jesus, it won't be any thanks to my husband. Maybe you've said those things. And I'm not minimizing those of you who are married to a non-believer another issue in and of itself but legalism and self-righteousness are two things that the bible talks about a lot 
So we need to watch out for that. Ladies, you can model the Christian life for your husband, but you cannot force them to experience it, okay? You can model the Christian life for your husband, but you cannot force him to experience it. The last one is the patient psychotherapist game. I like this one a lot. (laughs) Ladies, men can be really good sounding boards for you at times. But there may be a limit to what he can handle, all right? This is for singles, dating, married. Everybody's involved in this one, right? If you're dealing with the past, especially past abuse, you've got to get some help with that. Your husband is not the one to help you through that. If it has grown and led to, um, to problems in your sex life and your intimacy with each other, it is a problem. If you are having sex with your husband and you're continuing to see and have flashbacks of an abusive relationship, you need to get help. And this church is an awesome church to offer that. We have great resources for you, and we'll talk about those in just a minute. Don't allow his unwillingness to be misconstrued for not caring. Because one thing a man does when he's on his way home in the afternoons stereotypically, or y'all are about to go out or or do whatever, if this has lingered, if it's gone on and on and on, what a man will usually do, because we're courageous, is we run, or we get quiet, or we're like, "I, I need to work a couple extra hours tonight. We begin to avoid things that make us uncomfortable. That's how we're wired. It's a gift, okay? It's a gift. God did it. We didn't do it. Men, we have to work on that too. But women, understand if there's an issue in your life, he is not your psychotherapist. He is not your counselor. He is your cheerleader. He is your lover. He is the one who stands with you through those times. Okay, so please, please remember that. Marriage. Number three, marriage. Why can't we just live together? Save so much money. Golly, finances are tight these days, right? He lost his house to foreclosure, so he just moved in with me. It's convenient, right? Why can't we just do that? Why do we need to be married? Well, Genesis chapter 2 that we read is pretty clear. But not only the words it says, but where it is. God just created the world and the universe. The very next thing he does is he creates marriage. It seems like it's important to him. Call me crazy. He would have done it first, but there wouldn't have been any air. So he'd had to do it again, right? He's like, oh, snap. They didn't have anything to breathe. So I need to, okay, yeah, air first, then marriage, right? It's important. It's right at the beginning. It is important to God because for the Christian, it is a covenant. For the non-Christian, this doesn't apply. It's a tax break, right? Marriage is a tax benefit for the non-Christians. Just does not apply. But in the construct and in the context of Christianity, it is a covenant. Married folks, have you ever asked, what was I thinking? Sitting in the living room, you look over there at her guys, and you're like, oh my gosh. Because some of you look at me and you're like, I married crazy. Yeah, you probably did. But you married her, right? You did that. And ladies, you're looking over there at him going, how I can he pick up his underwear? It's always right in the same place. I step on it every day. And those things begin to creep up in your life and you ask, what was I thinking? And if you haven't asked yourself that question, you got married last night, okay? Most likely you got married last night. We've asked those questions because we struggle. Now, I'm going to hit very briefly on divorce. I want to talk to you a little bit about divorce because, you know, 50, 60% of all marriages end in it. So most likely there's at least one person in here who's been divorced. Okay, I know that. Just going to put that out there. I know there's at least one. Probably three or 400 more exist as well in the room. Okay? Divorce is painful. It hurts. And scripture is very clear that God hates it. I hate it. Those people who've been divorced 
hate it as well. You hate it. You are hurt in it. Things don't go very smoothly in divorce. I deal with so many couples, and we have to walk through that. And I don't have anybody going, man, next year this time, I'd like to do this again if we could come back together and I could get married and divorced again. This was such an awesome experience for me. It just doesn't happen. It hurts, and it's painful. There's also those questions of what can I do in the church if I'm divorced? Because there are some denominations, there are some churches out there that say, you know, you need to wear this D on your shirt when you come in and we have a special parking place for our divorced people and a class for you as well. And if you can go in there and, and not say anything, we'd really appreciate it because if you get close to me, I might get divorced because it's contagious, right? And we've treated people like that. I'm going to tell you right now in this church, if you're divorced, you can do anything God calls you to do. You can do anything God calls you to do. Because last time I checked, it it wasn't the unpardonable sin. Sin, yes, but there's redemption for sin. And God's blood, just like it covers my sin, when I may say something wrong or I offend somebody or any other of the millions of sins I commit, his blood is the same for that as it is for divorce. So God set up this whole marriage thing, and he determines what it means. I want to share with you some thoughts of a, a, a preacher named Tony Evans. came out with a brand new book called Sacred Sex. Awesome, awesome book. And I want to fill in some things and, and some definitions around marriage and sex that he refers to here. And he uses Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, and it, it says that now the, the man had relations with his wife Eve. Now, had relations, that's sex, if y'all didn't know that, all right? That's the biblical term for it. She conceived and gave birth. Now, the Hebrew word used in the very first account of sexual intimacy for had relations is the word yada. That's Y-A-D-A, yada. And it's the same word used when Adam and Eve's eyes are opened and they knew each other and they knew they were naked after the sin. It indicates plumbing the depths of another person or even plumbing the depths of the reality of God himself. So twice we read the the specific word secret, once in reference to God's secrets, the secret of the Lord, and also in relation to what God will give, the hidden wealth of secret places. This is a beautiful picture that he paints. You have to be, you know, you have to be pretty close to tell a secret. You lean in, you get up next to somebody, and you whisper in their ear because it's a secret. Don't tell anybody, but I want you to know this. Don't tell anybody this. This is different than gossip, all right? This is just a secret. This is not don't tell anybody and you, you know, Twitter it, you know, whatever, tweet it, whatever you do with Twitter, um, which is kind of gross. Um, He says, and that is what God says he will do with those who know or y'all die him. He will be so close to you that you can hear him whispering in your ear, telling you the secrets that are reserved for those who have a special relationship of intimacy with God, with him. Isn't that beautiful? The very foundation of true yada of one another in the security of the marriage union is rooted in a sacrificial dying to yourself in such a way that means laying your will, your pride, and your needs on the altar while considering the other as more important than yourself. It is in the sacrifice where both partners die to themselves that what is new can grow and flourish in the soil of biblical love. In marriage, partners share their secrets, their fears, their desires, their hopes, and even their failures. They reveal themselves in ways unlike any other. And within that revelation, if it is truly yada, if you've created vulnerability, if you've created transparency, then it will lead to intimacy. If you have done those things... You'll find the most authentic form of love possible. In fact, the secret nature of what you share in marriage becomes the treasure itself. It becomes the treasure. Sex. We finally made it. Number four. Woo. Are ready for this? Let's pray. Oh, I'm just kidding. It'd be a good time to close, wouldn't it? Here's where we get uncomfortable. I don't... 
Somebody asked me, do you have any videos for today? I just kind of laughed. I was like, no. Thinking that would be very appropriate. We'd have to go back and preach the first sermon if we showed that in here. And, but I thought, you know, I don't really work for the church. It would, no, that's probably not a good idea. So if you take this whole thing out of order, godly man, godly woman, marriage, and sex, if that is taken out of order, if sex is, is first, or even if you're married and you're not a godly man, not a godly woman, it, it just counters out the godly man or godly woman. You cannot be a godly man, you cannot be a godly woman and pursue Jesus if you're pursuing sexual immorality. It is spiritually impossible. It cannot be done. All right, well, I'm I'm doing a pretty good job myself. No, you're not. You're dying on the inside. Your guilt is overwhelming you if you know Christ. You cannot do both. God created sex for a couple to enjoy and learn about each other in the context of marriage. So what's your view of sex? Please don't answer that. What is your view of sex, though? We think about what, how do we view it, how do we define it, what is it? Let me give you a definition. It is a shared, unveiled, revealing, involving, knowing, and being known. It is a shared, unveiled, revealing, involving knowing and being known. The closest thing in the Bible to sex, and this is another picture that Tony Evans paints, I love this, is baptism and communion. Never thought about this. Baptism and communion. It says that baptism, baptism is the initial public act that you take before witnesses to validate your desire to be wedded to Jesus Christ. We're going to do that next Sunday for many, many of you. And communion is the ongoing action you take that as often as you do it, you do this in remembrance or recommitment to the covenant that you made with Christ. So the consummation of a marriage on the wedding night, and that is sex for the first time together on your wedding night, is designed to inaugurate a covenant. It's the beginning. And basically from that point on, as often as you do it, which we all agree that's often as you possibly can, right, guys? Amen. You renew the covenant and commitment that was inaugurated on the wedding night. What a beautiful picture. Baptism and communion. The initial time that you have with your spouse and then that ongoing reminder of the covenant you made with each other. When scripture covenants were frequently established by blood. Now, let me get a little graphic here as we get to the end of this, because it's in the Bible, and I want you to hear and get this picture, because this is another thing that parents didn't tell me about when we talked about the birds and the bees. Um, But I want to tell you about what Scripture says and what God's initial thoughts were about sex and marriage. In Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 12, God made a covenant with Abraham, the sign of which was circumcision. All the men just crossed their legs. Um, All the males born in Israel were to come as young boys and have the foreskin of their sexual organ removed to signify that they were part of God's covenant. In this way, they were different. They were set apart. Okay? Now, you know, probably a pretty awkward afternoon when Abraham approached them about this and said, I just talked to God and said that, we all need to be circumcised. I'm thinking a lot of the guys like, could you go back and like ask him again? Or did you hit your head on the way back? Or I mean, because you know, it's not, not a real surgical time in biblical times. It was like a sharp rock that they used. Okay. Just, yeah. Everybody's just like, whoa, whoa. Just not very comfortable. It involved blood and men would bear the mark as they produced children these descendants of Abraham. So it was in marriage. In Deuteronomy chapter 22, verses 13 through 15, this is is just amazing. Follow along, you're going to get it. If a man takes a wife and after sleeping with her, dislikes her and slanders her and gives her a bad name, saying, I married this woman, but when I approached her, had sex with her, I did not find proof of her virginity. 
Then the young woman's father and mother shall bring to the town elders at the gate proof that she was a virgin. We don't do that anymore, I don't think. I hadn't seen that happen at the gates of Statesboro lately. The evidence was the bloodstained sheet or whatever garment was on their marriage bed, okay? If the parents could prove their daughter was a virgin, the man could be fined, all right? This is kind of that unequal thing in during biblical times because if there was no blood, if she was not a virgin, she could be put to death. Guys, pay up. Woman, you're gone. Well, well, not very equal there, right? But God created this shield of protection around the female organ called the hymen, right? And on the wedding night, if she was a virgin, that would be broken. And that blood would cover the sexual organ of the man and seal the covenant. Isn't that kind of gross, but kind of beautiful at the same time? Amazing. Blood all through, all through our Bible that ends with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But have that, that blood between two people is what starts the covenant of marriage. Now, because of, you know, gymnastics and tampons, we really can't do that anymore, I don't think. Because we've kind of just changed the whole thing. And I don't say that just as a joke, but I say that because how far have we come? How far and distorted have we made sex from something so secret and so precious and so real to God that we just have it, you know? It's an aerobic exercise. It's a one-night stand. It's just something we do. Well, sex also happens between the ears, okay? There's a whole chemical process to this thing. It involves the diencephalon, which includes the thalamus and the hypothalamus. And these are the acts of viewing, hearing, smelling, seeing, cuddling, arousal, and orgasm. involve a highly complex mixture of chemicals. And each are designed to regulate an intended response by our creator. The interesting thing is, is just in the last couple of years, scientists have figured out that there's a chemical connection made between people during sex. It's been in here all along. It's been in our Bible for 2,000 years. Paul talked about it over and over and over. That's why he used sexual immorality so often. He knew that there was a deep, deep connection in what the intention was for. In the context of marriage, the chemicals serve the purposes of maintaining a commitment, either heightening or lessening territorial responses for males, fostering an environment of procreation and protection, and encouraging that transition from lovers to parent back to lovers as needed. When sex takes place outside the covenant, the chemical bonds are created, then broken, created, then broken created then broken it creates bonds that when broken leave this these lingering symptoms of hurt and insecurity and pain abandonment disrespect for self and for others and increased neediness for another attachment i get that picture in my mind when i think about this cemented thing that's broken and i think back that we just celebrated well i ain't celebrated but remembered 9-11 and I think about those pictures the day, days after when they're searching for bodies and those jagged shards of metal and concrete that were sticking up out of the ground. That's the picture I see when we have sex outside of the marriage covenant. It leaves those shards. And yes, God can redeem you. God can clean up that mess just like they did at 9-11. He can clean it up for you and get it out of there. But if you go back to where that happened at ground zero there's two big holes still there two big holes the scars are always there they will always remain so for those of you who have made those mistakes yes it can be cleaned up 
Yes, you will have to answer to it. Yes, you're going to deal with it a lot. I can't take that away from you. I wish I could. But for those of you who have stood firm and remained abstinent and are waiting, praise God and know that you can do that. This causes suffering in the present and also reduces the ability to establish proper boundaries in future relationships. Well, as we wrap this up, we're going to look at the Song of Solomon. Well, some people say, well, this is a great metaphor. Eh, not so much a metaphor. This is about, this is about sex, or at least leading up to it. I want to read to you. And we're not putting this on the screen because I don't want you to get too involved. All right? Song of Solomon, chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. Welcome to look at it with me. Now, this is the woman talking to the man. She says, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden, that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Word of God. It's in the Bible. Then the man has his response in chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. This is his opportunity to kind of share. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O princess daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hands. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bathrabin. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon. Probably wouldn't have said that. Looking toward Damascus. <laughs> the lady's kind of funny about, you know, it's just, it's just it makes sense. Let's score how big the tower of Lebanon was. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king is held captive by its tresses. How beautiful you are and how pleasing my love with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. May your breasts be like clusters of grapes on the vine, the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. That's in the Bible. Some of y'all thought I was reading the Fifty Shades of Grey. That's in the Bible. (laughs) And let me tell you the difference. Because some people have have pushed on that. If that's in the Bible, what's wrong with reading some other stuff like that? This is not a man and a woman. It's not a girl and a boy. This is a husband and a wife. This is a husband and a wife enjoying each other sexually in the context, in the covenant of marriage. That's a much different picture. A much different picture. It's an awesome picture. Some of you cannot enjoy each other sexually because you have baggage. The fire got outside of the fireplace. Some of you are trying to enjoy each other outside the covenant of marriage. Both of these are going to screw up the marriage bed. Some of you wish, I wish I could go back. I wish I could do it over. Yesterday I had to get the direct TV guy over to my house because I could only record one thing at the time. The sky was falling. I mean, it's football, right? I got to be able to take more than one game at a time. Only one, what, what was I going to do? It's panicked. So he shows up because I like to, when I record something, I like to hit rewind. Let's see that again. Rewind. Wouldn't that be cool if we could do that in our lives? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could go back to that day, go back to that weekend, go back to that night, and just do it differently? I made a wrong choice. There's so much pain, and many have been abused sexually, but you don't fight the battle by yourself. You're not expected to get over that, okay? Get help, and this church will help you find someone to help you. Because abuse is so rampant, it's so so prevalent in our society. Get help. 
For there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has forgiven you. A marriage will thrive when two people become completely unselfish and their biggest desire is to love Jesus and serve each other. Very quickly as we close, I want to tell you about intimacy. Intimacy. Men need connection in the bedroom to be connected outside the bedroom. Women need connection outside the bedroom to be connected inside the bedroom. I don't know why. Ask God. I'm going to ask him. I'm like, that doesn't even match up. God, why are we doing that? You heard the statements, you know, sex begins in the kitchen. Men say, I'd like to have sex in the kitchen. I mean, it just kind of just flows out of us sometimes, right? That connection is so different for each one of us. Married women, you are the only legitimate source of sexual satisfaction for your husbands. You are the only source. This is not a curse. It is a gift. It is a gift. You don't know who I'm married to, you say. Yeah, but you married him. He doesn't deserve respect, you say. You need to learn how to see him through God's eyes, not yours. When he has sex with you, he feels more connected to you. Stop putting all your energy into the kids or the other things that are going on and save time for your husband. Men, you're like, tell him, preacher, I have needs, right? Sorry, guys, it's not a need. I have never done that funeral. You know, poor Joe, he's dead because he didn't get any. (laughs) Just, it didn't happen. You know, poor guy. Yeah. Never had that funeral service before. It is not a need. And women, stop nudging your husbands right now. It is not a need. Guys, intimacy is, is not, you know, cutting off the TV and dropping trowel and going, you ready? That's just not intimacy, okay? And we could get into a lot of this, and I know I'm out of time. But find out, if you don't know what's intimate to your wife, ask her. Ask her. Have that question over lunch this afternoon. Or, or maybe after your kids are out of the way, maybe not in front of them. But ask her what is intimate. I mean, she may be simply say, just bathe before you come to bed. That would be nice. So it may be the little things. She may say, I'd like for you to take time. I'd like for you, I'd like for you to initiate something and you set things up, set the stage for us to share intimacy together. Ask her. Men, our wives need us to listen. They need us to listen more. We like to fix things, right? We like to just jump in there, spreadsheet, wrenches, whatever we need. We're going to fix whatever the problem is and move on. We're ready to move on. We're ready to watch the game. Let's fix this and move on. I listen to people all day, professionally. That's what I do. So when I get home in the evenings, if my wife wants me to listen, it takes a lot of extra effort. You know, sometimes I would you know, rather be run over um, than have to listen. <laughs> but I do that because I'm pursuing righteousness, not happiness. It doesn't make me unhappy, but it does take effort for us to listen. It's a, it's a job for guys. It takes much more energy. If we're going to love our wives as Christ loved the church, we must be willing to do anything it takes. And guys, we have resources. We have resources here at, at Connection Church. There are, you know, don't want to have too much of a commercial, but there are some awesome therapists in our town. I are one of them. Um, I don't consider myself awesome, but we do great work at our office. There are some several, several therapists in our community that can help. And couples ask me all the time do you think we need counseling yes every couple needs counseling every couple needs a third party to look into their marriage and speak into their lives now as we as we close today there are many of us who are here and we bring a lot of hurt we lot we bring a lot of anguish to this and and you may say i don't really want to surrender because i don't know if christ can forgive me for the, for what i've done it's pretty bad I don't know if he can do that. There's no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says it. I love that verse. I love that verse. There is no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. You're simply not willing to give up where you are. You still want to have sex with your girlfriend. You still want to have sex with your boyfriend. Girls, you say, well, if if I stop having sex, he'll leave. 
don't let the door hit him. Say, well, you know, if I stop having sex, he's not going to go anywhere. Give it a shot. Try it. God wants more for you than that. He wants something for you, not anything from you, except your willingness to turn it over to him. Jesus promises to replace whatever we give up with something better, something pure, something holy, something awesome. Let's pray together. God, you know every person in this room and you know the stuff that we're dealing with and we know we're out of time and there may be a roast in the oven and it can wait. If you have one, go ahead and step out if you need to. But God is going to do business here and I know it. God, we pray that. We pray that you continue to to plunder around in our hearts. And for those of you who may be in here right now and with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, you might be in this room and thinking, you know, I don't even think this pertains to me because I don't have a relationship with God to begin with. I don't even know who he is. And maybe you need to seal that right now. You need to say, I need to meet Jesus. And we make that as, as simple as we possibly can. We have our prayer team behind you. They are all in the back of the room. And we begin to sing. If you want to make that decision today to become a, a, just a, a follower of Christ for the first time, just step out where you are and walk to the back. They would love to pray with you. Couples, during this song, we're going to sing I Surrender All. And during this song, couples, if you need to just grab your husband or your wife by the hand and say, let's go down to the altar and pray. You've been struggling. You're barely hanging on. Your marriage is not much more than a a thread between you. You argued on the way here this morning. You're going to argue when you leave. Come down and pray for each other and with each other. Singles, college students, high school students, middle school students. You may have already just messed this up. You may be sitting here going, golly, what am I made of now? Who am I? There's no condemnation in Christ. You need to pray with somebody. I'm going to be down front. Our prayer team's in the back. We'll have some other prayer partners up here in the front with us. Come down and, and let us pray with you. Start over today start over we're going to stand and we're going to sing and when we stand and sing those of you who want to receive Christ for the first time go head to the back as hard as you can those of you who want prayer up front want to come with your spouse come down and pray individuals you want to come down and pray please do so let God move in your life this morning